Hey everyone, this is Rich Ramon and you're listening to Still Talking With. Yeah. Greetings, my friends. This is the brain of TV's Pinky in the Brain. Yes, and my, my uh, human avatar, Maurice LaMarche. Hi, it's Chris Poland, and you're listening to Still Talking With. Hey, this is Eric Roland, voice of Kendo Rapa on My Hero Academia and host of the Tough Love Podcast. You're listening to Still Talking With on the Dorkening Podcast Network. My crew is ready to obtain the absolution. Hey, happy Wednesday, everybody. You are watching Still Talking With. My name's Leo. I'm the monkey behind the keyboard here. We have a great show scheduled for you, as always. And with us, Benjamin, how's it going? Hey, it's going amazing. Amazing. Fifth season, we're killing it. Uh, amazing guests. I'm really excited about tonight's guest, though. Really excited. One of my all-time favorite films that I can remember. All I'm going to say is, uh, can you dig it? That's just because you were a punk kid who liked to beat people up. No, okay. And <laughs> what's your point? Like seriously, what's your point? When this movie, I learned out, it from you. <laughs> when this movie came out, what were you like? Fucking nine. I don't know. Seven. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm old as shit now, but <laughs> still you know, one of my so, favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, I've you know, I haven't seen I haven't seen the Warriors in a long time. Oh, um, you gave it away. Yes, I did. I did it on purpose. You suck at this game. Now shut the fuck up, or I'm gonna fuck your name up. Oh well, wait a minute. Before we introduce him, though, I just ha I have to say one thing. I do have to say <laughs> this real, real quick. So we actually added two more platforms this evening with this guest. Um, 70s and 80s memory lane. A huge shout out to Amy Makepeace for that. If you're watching on that channel and you want to comment. You have to jump over to one of the majors, which would be Toking with the Dead on Facebook, YouTube, The Dorkening, Hellfire Entertainment Media. Then we will see your comments. Otherwise, unfortunately, we won't see them right now. Okay. You become dust in the wind. Dust in the wind. Ah. Yeah. There's something else from the 70s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. So let's, let's, let's bring him in, Mr. Purple Fury himself, Rob Ryder. Hey, hey. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome. Yeah, I was gonna, I'm... I was gonna screw your name up, but it's kind of hard. <laughs> you know, I got, you know, a Ritter, but that would, that wouldn't have sounded right. You know, <laughs> he likes to mess you know? with people's names. I do, oh, yeah. but it was, it's, it was too simple. I couldn't, I couldn't mess it up. <laughs> you know, although, although in the show notes, Ben messed up purple. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, no no only in one spot and i went and i saw it tonight i went oh crap don't you spell yeah. check well yeah usually jeff is my spell check he's my editor but you know things have, have been notes. they have that's software you. for that yeah, yeah come so on that's you your job the guest talk here or is it just you know three of you jabbering around you just hold your horses we'll let you know <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You don't want to find me, man. I'll be, I'll be at the craft service table. I'll be eating donuts, biding my time. There you go. Oh. Donuts. Wow. So uh, it's been a long time, still. It's over 40 years. Is it 40, 44 now? 45? It was at least 45 years ago. 45, yep. Yeah. Yeah, we shot it in summer of 1978. Yep. Right. Wow. Back. 
I mean, I still remember that movie came out. I watched it back to back so many times just because it was so fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was an amazing movie. Um, but you know, I, I want to start off by asking, like, I heard that you actually were the location scout. That's right. For for the film prior to obtaining the roles. Yeah, yeah. What happened was I, I had been... Um, living in New York, had been writing, working on a novel like every other knucklehead um, writer in New York. And uh, I was trying to get overseas to play. I got a contract actually to go play professional basketball. And I was working out in Central Park. I was down in West 4th Street. It was a little rough down there. I was working out in Central Park. One of the guys that I played with was this rich guy out of healthcare and uh, he was back in a movie putting like half a million dollars up for some low budget movie. And I got on as a PA and I didn't go to Europe to play ball. I stayed to work in a movie. So that job led to another, to another. And the production manager liked me and he was, um, he gave me a call in 1970, the spring of 78, I guess, said there's a movie coming in. And um, I want you to work as a PA for me again. And I said, sure thing. And so I got on as a PA. Within a couple of days, he bumped me up to a location scout. So I was running all over the city looking for a subway bathroom to have a fight in, looking for a street to blow up the car when the orphans um, got chased off by the Molotov cocktail, uh, looking for this as a the toughest one is looking for the conclave, you know, where mm. all the gangs got together and um, where the, that kicked the whole movie into gear right there. Mm. So I was running around doing this for several weeks as the movie started and I got to know Walter Hill a little bit and he took a liking to me cause you know, I'm big and I'm a jock and I don't know why, um, but there were moments where he would call me over like we were down in the subways and I was running around coming up with all these Polaroids, you know, it was before cell phones, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. And cameras. So you had to shoot Polaroids um, to show the director. Here's what I found. What does it look like? And he'd go, ah, that looks real fucked up. I want something else, you know, and I'd go off again. So I went to visit him once on set in the subway and he said, Hey, come over here. And, he pointed down these subway stairs, you know, the kind of the steel treads. There were like 20 of them. And he goes, I need someone to play a cop. Ajax going to kick him in the chest. He's going to fall backwards down these stairs. I want you to do it. What do you think? And I looked down these stairs and I looked at him and I said, no way. And he just looked at me and he said, pussy. And he said, go on, go go off and do your thing. So I was running around for another couple of weeks, finding locations. And a stuntman got hurt. One of the baseball furies, Steve Chambers. Uh, he played the Purple Fury. And they were still running around the streets. And I think they were just entering the park. And he was jumping down some stairs. And he banged up a knee or something. And suddenly, Walter calls me over and says, I want to put you in my movie. I want you to be a, uh, Steve Chambers replacement, be a purple fury. So that's how that started. The next night I went to work. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty hairy, you know, um, 
the the Furies were so strange. I mean, the other gangs were pretty peculiar in themselves, but right. baseball Furies far and above. Man, these guys looked so creepy and deranged. Suddenly, I found myself in the makeup trailer in Riverside Park. And they were doing the whole thing, draw a line down my face, half is purple, half is black, the black circle around the one eye, put a black wig on me, baseball cap, Yankees uniform. It was a shirt just like this, didn't say Furies on it. And then the Yankees shirt over it and um, gave me a bat and said, okay, you're a fury. You got a lot of running to do. And we spent probably the next three nights just running and running and running, just chasing the warriors for the warriors. And we did that over and over again. In the meantime, I was trying to hold on to my production job doing locations. So I would work all night long running, get home to my shitty apartment on 2nd Avenue, sleep for a couple hours, get into the production office, get that day's assignment, usually out in Coney Island, Brooklyn, someplace, go out there, spend the day looking for locations, then show up. I'd have like a 6 p.m. call time that evening, go into makeup and wardrobe, get ready to do some more running. So I did that for a couple of days and I was going, man, I'm not going to be able to sustain this. And I'm going to have to tell the production manager that I got to quit my production job. But Luckily, it happened for me in a strange way. There was a SAG rep snooping around the set, and he caught wind that I was double dipping. Big no-no when it comes to unions. Um, And so he talked to the AD, David Sosna, and Sosna came over to me and said, hey, this guy's all pissed off that you're double dipping. You can't be both. You can either do production or you can be a fury. What's it going to be? And I thought about it for about two seconds. As a production location scout, I was making 50 bucks a day. As a baseball fury, I was making over 300 a day, plus benefits, mm-hmm. plus overtime. So I'm like, man, I'm staying a baseball fury. So I ended up luckily getting fired from my production job, but stayed on as a fury and ended up uh, fighting Michael Beck. Right. Mm-hmm. Who played Swan? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Now, did you did you did the production have to get permission from the Yankees to wear the stripes? You know, that's an excellent question. I don't know that anyone's ever answered that. Um, Probably not. But in this day and age, and even back then, who the hell knows? You know, people trademark this stuff, and if you use it for commercial purposes, in fact, now that I think about it, probably. They probably went to the Yankees, and Yankees are like, yeah, it's cool by us. But As long as it doesn't have the NY on it, right? Yeah, it didn't have the NY. It was just right. a striped shirt. It was obviously right. Yankees, but yeah. Well, also, aren't there different rules for independent movies? Like you mentioned, like in the beginning, this was an independent movie. Um, and actually, another question is, uh, you know, while you're making it, did you realize that it was going to become such an, an icon? We had no idea. I mean, none. Um, and actually, it wasn't an indie. It was a studio film. It was okay. Paramount. And um, it was a low-budget Paramount movie. It's like four million bucks, I think. 
And it, it was, and they were asking an awful lot and to shoot in New York City with all those nights and all those extras and the, the main cast and all. Um, it was a squeeze. But we started out doing it. I mean, I read the screenplay before we started production. And I'm like, wow, man, this is weird. It just felt different to me. And I wasn't sure how Walter Hill was going to shoot it. And I thought this could either be a really cool movie or the biggest piece of shit ever made. Because mm. the screenplay by itself didn't hold up that well for me. Mm. Um, but once I got wind of exactly how stylized he was making it, and I, I saw, wow, he's got something going here. And obviously it turned into this iconic cult classic. Right. Which is pretty amazing. I mean, because everybody today frowns on all kinds of violence. Yeah. It's still, it's still an icon classic. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it really, I, I think it was written really to uh, shine some light on the issues in the cities with gangs. I think that's why it was originally written. Yeah, the, well, the novel was, Saul Yurik, the novelist, um, was a social worker. And so he knew that world pretty well. And the, the novel is really gritty. I don't think the novel holds up that well, frankly. Um, but it was intended that way. And then Walter took a hold of it and he turned it surreal. You know, it, it's really magical realism. I, I grew up, I love New York City, hard-hitting, hard-nosed, Al Pacino, Serpico, French Connection you know, um, Dog Day Afternoon, that kind of movie, that kind of action movie where it's so fucking real. You're like, wow, man. And and when we started shooting the Warriors, I was like, wow, Walter's doing it different. For one, you will see there's almost no extras in the entire movie except for the gang members. I mean, you don't see people walking on the street. You don't see them getting off of subway buses or off of trains. It's like really stripped down. So, so he emptied out the city. And then when we started shooting it, Andy Laszlo, the DP, came up with this great thing because there was a, there was a brief rain shower in one of the early scenes and, it, and all the streets got wet. And it looked great, you know, because the whole movie is shot at night and it was that glistening look. And he talked to Walter and said, hey, we got something going with this look. And he goes, why don't we establish that there's a brief rainstorm so then we can keep the streets wet the whole movie. And so from then on, every time we shot an exterior, they got out the fire hoses and they clued into the nearest hydrant and went down the streets and gave it that really cool glistening look. And that's how that happened. Wow. wow. It's one of those, you know, movies. Yeah, it, there's a lot of right. shit that just happens kind of on the spot and you go, oh, let's run with this. Right. That was one of those things that worked out really nicely. I just, well, I, yeah, I, I, it, that adds a special atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like you said, you the novel didn't hold well, but I just want to spin this real quick. You actually wrote a novel about this. Yeah, not a novel, more of a memoir. Okay, a memoir, a, a memoir. book. Yeah. You wrote something. Yeah, I wrote a book. I wrote a fucking <laughs> about book. About this. Yeah. yeah. So 
it's called it's called Purple Fury Rumbling with the Warriors. And here I'll show you a copy. Put it up on screen. If anyone's out there watching, mom, dad, oh, mom's dead. Um, <laughs> wow. All right. So that's the cover of the book. This is the back cover. That This is me. Let me see what I'm doing here. This is me as a punk. I was in the bathroom fight. I'm, I'm in the red. I'm the tall guy in the red. Yep. And there's a quote from Walter Hill in the back. The least we can do is lie for each other. And um, I thought that's one of the coolest things I ever heard anyone say. And Walter's that kind of guy, you know, just a just kind of a laconic, laid back, tough guy. And he comes out of that world, that Sam, Sam Peckinpah world. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the way he directed, you know, didn't give much direction. Just he, if he hired you, it's because he thought you could do the job and then he let you do the job. You know, he wasn't one of these super hands-on directors. But anyway, um, starting last year, I started writing a couple of posts on Facebook about my experience on the Warriors, and people seemed to dig it. So I started doing some more, and then I said, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a book. Um, and lo and behold, I put it together, um, got the covers done. I self-published it. I've had another book published by HarperCollins called Hollywood Jock, but you know, those big publishing companies, they didn't handle it very well. And I didn't get, well, actually, I got paid pretty well. But I decided <laughs> to do this myself and just market it to people like all you thousands, tens of thousands of people who are watching right now, hundreds of thousands who are watching right now. This book is for you. It's called Purple Fury. And go to purplefury.net and you can buy it directly from me. I'll sign it for you. And I'll put it in the mail to you. Thanks for putting it up. That's cool. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's that's what I noticed also is uh, so people can buy it either unsigned or signed. Paperback uh, or hardcover. Paperback or hardcover. And uh, also you have uh, some uh, pictures that people can buy as well. Signed photos. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I started going to these fan cons. Uh, I had no idea these things even existed. And a lot of the warriors, Michael Beck and those guys, have been going yeah. for years. And mm -hmm. I finally started getting invited. And thousands and thousands of people show up to buy 8 by 10 photographs that are signed. Mm -hmm. And these things sell for like 40, 50 bucks. Oh, yeah. shocked. You know, so for me, it's a really cool way to meet and greet, get to know some of the fans, make a few bucks. Um so I'm doing one in New Jersey in April called Chiller Theater, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, Chiller yep. Theater is right good. Right across the, the, the river from, uh, from Manhattan. So yep. anyone out there who wants to go to Chiller, it's a really happening show. It's really well run. Yep. Um, it's a 45th Warriors um, anniversary. So Michael and a whole bunch of the guys are going to be there. Uh, we're trying to get Craig Baxley, the stunt coordinator, to be there. Um, and I'll be there hawking my book, man. Um, right. And I hope people show you, up for it. You, you said it's more of a memoir. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that means it's about, it's about the filming and, and the interactions you had with the other actors and uh, that sort of stuff. Exactly. Just trying to get a feel for what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's all about, you know, when I like when I first started, it starts on 
on when I first started, and I think my first words are, did you ever take a job and three days in, you're wondering what the fuck have I done? <laughs> All the time. Ten, ten minutes was the shortest <laughs> I was ever at a job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So everyone's been there. I took this job. It was so pressurized, you know, doing locations. Mm -hmm. And then um, it just got harder after that. But, but so I start talking about, what it was like working locations at first, um, dealing with the Teamsters. You know, the first time I got in a van with a Teamster, I stuck my hand out to shake his hand like I said, hey, you know, my name's Rob Ryder. And he looked at me and goes, so what? <laughs> you know, and that's like dealing with Teamsters, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got stories about buying stores on Coney Island on the boardwalk, you know, you buy them, you rent them for the afternoon. So the, the owner shuts down and lets you, you know, do your thing, shoot your stuff. Um, dealing with mafia types out there, dealing with real gang members, what all that stuff was like. And then what it was like the night that I became the Purple Fury and going into makeup and, and you know, just all that running, just... I, what I'm trying to do in the book is give fans of the movie the opportunity to experience what it was like to be there because it was really wild. You know, it was New York City, 1978. The city was a real shithole back then. I mean, there was dog shit everywhere and crime was up and there was a lot of poverty. Um, it was just a really hard place to live. And so I'm kind of reenacting some of that stuff. And then I get into, after, you know, being a fury, what it was like. Um, there are some cutaways to Hollywood for later on. Walter said, hey, I hear you're, you're writing screenplays. And I go, yeah. So he goes, oh, you got to move to Hollywood. So right after the Warriors, I moved out to Hollywood. And so I talk about some of those experiences, what it was like living out here trying to make it as a screenwriter, you know, what it's like dealing with the studios and other directors. You know, I worked for Billy Friedkin, the guy who did The Exorcist, and um, the guy was a total nightmare. He's dead now, so I can talk about him. But you know, <laughs> so I've got some stories about Friedkin and working for Ron Shelton on White Men Can't Jump and what that was like. Mm -hmm. And then always going back to New York and the Warriors and um, what happened after, let's see, after the Fury section wrapped, I had lost my production job. I got fired. So I was going, oh, what the fuck am I going to do now? I'm sitting around. I got a, I got a novel to finish. I'm like, I don't want to write this novel anymore. <laughs> and then I got a call from Baxley saying, hey, Walter wants you in the bathroom fight. He wants you to be a punk. So next thing I know, I am in the bathroom that I'd been searching all over for as a location scout. If anyone's seen the movie, you remember that iconic brawl in that subway bathroom. Mm -hmm. yep. well, one of my jobs was to find that bathroom. And I looked all over the friggin' city for that thing. And I finally found one that was perfect. It was on the, on the west side in some shitty old high school. It's a big ass bathroom with stalls and mirrors and all that stuff that Walter wanted. I shot the Polaroids. I brought them to location in some subway where they were shooting. I spread them out for Walter. And I, I said, here it is, man. I finally found it. And he looked at all these Polaroids and said, nah, fuck it. I don't like it. 
Mm -hmm. And I went, geez. And then the location manager pulled me inside and said, look, it's not you. It's not the bathroom. Walter's in a big fight with Paramount. He wants, he wants them to build him a bathroom. So they ended up building as the only set on the whole movie. They built the bathroom out in Queens on the old soundstage, Astoria Studio. It's where they used to do the Marx Brothers and all mm -hmm. the Queens. And, and um, so suddenly I find myself out on this giant soundstage in this bathroom that I had found, you know, and yet, you know, was, was nixed. And so, um, so they ended up building this thing and I ended up, you know, getting the shit beat out of me once again in this <laughs> fake bathroom in Queens. But I did get to throw vermin into the mirrors. So I was my one act of vengeance in the entire movie. And I was Now, did they, um, uh, did they actually use any real gang members from the city as consultants for the movie? Yeah, you know, that was a, a, a dicey situation for me. Yeah, because these guys were around. For one, there was a gang out on Coney Island, and they were not happy about the Warriors being written, painted over that bathhouse right on the boardwalk there. They were like, who the fuck are these guys? coming in from Hollywood on, onto our turf. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff to placate these guys. They either paid them off or they gave them some bit parts in the movie, but they didn't let them come as gangs themselves. That would have been too hairy, just too mm -hmm. dangerous. So there are some gang members in the movie. Um, and there were a lot of guys who were really disruptive and production hired these two off-duty off city, New York City cops. They were detectives. And these guys were right out of the French connection. You know, it was Popeye Doyle. <laughs> they would wear these black raincoats and these fedoras, and they'd be Hulk, and they were big guys, Irish, or two of these guys. And when anyone would disrupt the set, and they couldn't get rid of them, we'd call over these cops and said, hey, go deal with these guys. Because what would happen is these people would come around like with big boom boxes, right? And they'd be blasting them so you couldn't record sound and they'd want to get paid off to turn off the radio. They'd send these detectives over and these two guys would kind of just double team them, walk up to them, hover around them, and suddenly the guy would like slump to the pavement either slink off or he'd just be lying there. And we never quite knew exactly how these guys handled it, but they knew how to throw a gut punch. And that's the way they handle a lot of this shit. It was don't ask, don't tell. I don't think they do too much of that, you know, these days. But back in 1978, that's our production handled troublemakers. That's wow. cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So you had hired muscle on set. It was hired muscle. And hired they were muscle. You know, so there'd be real cops in uniform, you know, the set cops, and then there'd be these two undercover guys. Uh, Jeremy was asking, what was your favorite scene to shoot? Well, God. I gotta well, there were there were two really. I gotta I gotta talk about both of them because the Furies, 
you know, it was pretty new to me. Um, but after all that running, I was like, man, I am over this. So when the bat fight started, that was really cool because watching Jerry Hewitt, who played the yellow faced fury, when he faces off against Ajax, that was some movie magic right then, mm -hmm. that night, because James Remar made up that line. He ad libbed that line. I'm going to take that bat, shove it up your ass, and turn you into popsicle. Um, but to watch them rehearse that, how the whole thing was going to go down, was really wonderful because Jerry Hewitt, unlike the rest of us mooks, he kind of understood Walter's vision, which was more comic book style. I call it kabuki, like the old Japanese kabuki theater mm -hmm. style. Everything really stylized, makeup and wigs. And Jerry Hewitt got that with the back flips and the bat flips and just the way he brought that kind of stylized choreography to it. So that was favorite watching that. And then when I finally fought Michael, that was hairy because they're real bats, 36 inch Louisville sluggers. I think I was wearing rib pads, but they didn't help that much. <laughs> <laughs> that fight scene ends with him nailing me in the ribs three, three times in a row. And that shit hurt. Um, but we nailed it the very first take. We choreographed the thing. We rehearsed it. We started it, and he came at me, and it was fast. It was faster than I thought it would be. I mean, you're swinging a bat, bam, and then you're swinging at his stomach, and then at his head, and then I hit the tree behind him, and the bat bounces off, and then he comes at me again. So we nailed this first take. I end up, I'm on the ground. My ribs are killing me. But I look up, Michael comes over and he's like, you know, they, they're yelling, cut, cut. Michael comes over, Rob, you okay? You all right, man? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. And I said, man, that was fast. That was fucking fast. Did that seem fast to you? And, and Michael Beck's like, that was really fast. And we're like, we nailed it. So I get up, we look over to Walter, like, what do you think, boss? You know, <laughs> Walter looks at it, looks at us like, do it again. <laughs> no direction, nothing. It's true in a toothpick like this. Arms folded. Do it again. So Michael and I looked at each other like, suddenly my ribs are killing me. Michael's exhausted. He's been running. He's had other bat fights before me. And we're like, oh, man, we got to go again. And then Baxley comes over, the stunt coordinator, and he whispers in my ear. He says, you know, every time you get hit, it's a $50 stunt adjustment. Just remember that. So the, you add that onto your overtime and everything. I'm like, let's go again, man. 50 extra. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time for take two. We're like, all right, no, no new direction. He wants it over. So I guess we do it faster, you know, and more intense. So we start it and three swings in i'm supposed to swing at his stomach and he jumps back instead as i'm swinging at his stomach he ducks right into my swing oh my bat is heading right for his head and i'm just able to check my swing enough i missed him by about maybe a half an inch or else we could have we would have brought the whole movie to a standstill 
because a leading man would suddenly have his brains splattered all the way up to West End Avenue. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. And by, Michael and I both dropped our bats like, holy shit. And Walter's like, what the fuck's going on? And we just said, ah, oh, we got to go again. And, and so we looked at each other and said, all right, we got to remember the choreography. And Michael, you know, to his credit, he, he looked at Walter and he said, that was my bad, man. And, you know, I ducked in when I should have jumped back. Um, so we ran it through another two times or so. And we nailed it. It turned out really well. Um, so that really was kind of my the highlight of my acting career. But but really quickly, throwing vermin into the mirrors in the bathroom brawl as a punk, that was really a blast. Um, Terry Mykos is a really cool guy. He was a guy who played vermin who had all those funny lines in the movie. Vermin actually was supposed to get killed off by one of the Lizzie's in their clubhouse. He was supposed to get shot and killed, but Walter liked the humor he was bringing to the part. So he decided to let him live. And he ended <laughs> up being in the bathroom brawl as well. <clears throat> and that worked out really well, except when the time it came to throw vermin into the mirrors, I went to pick up Terry Micos and the guy is built like, just like a strong ass, like a, you know, college linebacker, right? So I go to pick him up and I get him off the ground. I'm like, fuck, man, I can't throw this guy in the mirrors. It's like asking, someone tells you, oh yeah, pick up that couch and throw it <laughs> out the window, right? It's like, and no way, it ain't happening. And then I hear Walter laughing. <clears throat> I see Craig Baxley laughing. I go, these guys are fucking with me. And Craig says, bring in the trampoline. So they bring in one of those little trampolines. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have Vermin bounce off the trampoline. And I'm going to grab him as he's coming off and then fling him into the mirrors. And they had um, a stuntman, Craig Baxley's cousin, actually, Gary Baxley, double Vermin. And we so we did that take. You know, I, I beat up Vermin a little bit. And then we cut just before I threw him and then Baxley got in there dressed as vermin. He comes off the trampoline as he's hitting the trampoline. I grab him through the crotch and across the chest and I throw him and he goes flying into those mirrors, hits him, shatters him, falls down onto those sinks. And they're real sick. So that's quite the stunt. And then he hits the floor and that was a gas too. Cause finally I got, you know, some some knocks back instead of just being the one on the receiving end of all the violence. Now I'm assuming the mirrors were real too. The mirrors were candy glass mirrors. The, the sugar, okay. sugar glass, yeah. yeah so glass. they'll shatter um, without cutting anyone up. Yeah. But they look real. If you go back and look, they look really real. And, and Gary Baxter did a great job because it ain't easy. You know, when your body is flying through the air and you go, all right, the back of my head's going to hit the one mirror and then my ass and my heels are going to hit the one right next to it. And they got to shatter. And then I got to fall onto these sinks, which are real, without killing myself and then bounce onto the floor. But he pulled it off. I think we did it twice, maybe. You know, they come in, they replace the mirrors, you do it again. Um, but these guys are seasoned stuntmen, unlike me. I mean, I'm just a mook from New Jersey 
kind of winging it, trying to not to get killed. Um, but I made it through, and everything turned out great. Jesus, yeah. if we were filming that, they would have been real mirrors. Right. We couldn't <laughs> afford the sugar glass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and you would have just ended up with another concussion. Yeah, and some lacerations. Yeah, how many have you had, by the way, Jeff? <laughs> Obviously um, more than three. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, probably seven or eight over the years. But two, 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 two for two for film, two two from the filming, yeah, yeah, two from filming, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I've been knocked out numerous times. I'm so, just a little guy, you know. But I do want to say, uh, if you're interested in Rob or Rob's book, make sure you check the show notes up above or down below. You can find all the information in the notes, including the link to go buy his book. Yes, yeah, thank part, you very part much. Of, part of the information. Yes, I, I dig that. And for all the all you Warriors fans out there, there's a lot of shit in the book that no one knows yet that's just being revealed. But most importantly, I think, is that it really gives you a feel of what it was like to shoot this stuff. How the guys interacted, how the Warriors handled themselves. You know, Thomas Waits ended up getting fired off the film. I talk about that a little bit. How Deborah Van Valkenburg you know, she really handled herself well. She played Mercy, and um, she was just a tough broad, but she's this wonderful, really refined woman. She's an artist. She's really musical. She's living out here in L.A. Um, just a great gal. She ended up getting beat up, getting hurt more than anyone else in the film. <laughs> you know, she ended up... Um, breaking a wrist, she got dragged down onto a subway platform by a stuntman who wasn't really a stuntman and would, didn't, he tripped, didn't let go of her, they were holding hands. He yanked her down and she ended up breaking a wrist. So for the rest of the movie, she's covered in a, like a windbreaker, covering up her cast. And, and then a few weeks later, Michael Beck accidentally hits her with a bat and right in the head and opens up a nice big cut. So, um, so Deborah is one tough chick. Yeah. And uh, so I talk about that and just a lot of that really cool behind the scenes stuff, how James Remar, who played Ajax, that guy is just a gnarly motherfucker. And he is to this day. You know, he was one of those guys. He's not a bad guy. And he's a brilliant actor. But he keeps to himself. He does things the way he wants them done. He stayed in character that entire shoot because most of the guys, all of us, you know, when they yell cut, you go, hey, how you doing? Everyone OK? Are we cool? And you go, you get a cup of coffee as they set cameras, reset cameras. But Remar, he just stayed that gnarly motherfucker Ajax and he <laughs> never changed, he never missed a beat. So there's no small talk. There's no fooling around with him. And to this day, you know, I've seen him at a couple of these conventions and he kind of acts the same way. Everyone's a little afraid of him. Even the stunt guys were kind of afraid of him. And I was glad I didn't have to have a bat fight with the guy because he had a loose cannon kind of feel. And then I was really glad he wasn't in the subway bathroom brawl because God knows what he would have done, you know. Hmm. Well, no, I got to say, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of people complain about his demise in the movie. If you remember, he tries to pick up some chicken 
in the park and she's sitting on a park bench and turns out she's an undercover cop and she arrests him, handcuffs him. And that's how he, he ends up being out of the movie. And I thought it was a real kind of a cheap way of losing one of the best characters. And, and Walter has said afterwards, he didn't realize how much the audience would relate to Ajax and mm. dig him, you know, the surly guy. He thought right. everyone would hate him. People ended up loving him because he was a tough motherfucker. And um, Walter says he regrets that he didn't write a better ending for James Remar and Ajax in the movie, which is pretty interesting. Hmm. Now, was there anybody on set that you had to deal with their ego? Ego-wise, the only guy, and God bless him, you know, Thomas Waits is a wonderful actor, really good director, by the way. He's done a low-budget mm -hmm. feature film that's really cool. And he's still at it. He teaches acting. And he, to this day, regrets some of his behavior on the film. He was just coming off a movie called On the Yard. It was a little indie prison movie. And he had the lead in that. So he brought some of that attitude and he and he was insisting on things like, hey, you know, you got all these actors crammed in one trailer. You know, we deserve a little bit better, better than just, you know, one trailer. Just, you know, that kind of complaining. I, I heard he complained a bit about the violence in the movie. It was too over the top. And um, Walter got pissed off at him. And just finally said he called Paramount, he talked to the producers, talked to the studio guys and said, I can't have this guy in my movie anymore. I can't stand the guy. Um, and that's why Fox, that character got killed off out of nowhere. He got thrown under the subway train. Um, and he didn't, Thomas Waits didn't even get to do his own stunt at the end there. Um, they hired a, a guy to take the fall for him. Um, and Waits talks about it, saying, you know what? I had too much attitude. I was a young punk, too full of myself. And when he goes to the conventions now, he's got a cautionary tale for all the young actors out there. He, say, he just says, it, don't piss off the director. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first rules of being an actor is don't piss off the director. Mm. You'll end up under a bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Because wow. yeah, it just seemed to be that kind of a movie where maybe, yeah. you know, you would get something like that from some of the people, you know what I mean? Because it's supposed to be a tough guy movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting is that most of the guys who played the Warriors, they had had some acting experience, not a whole hell of a lot. And for a lot of them, this is their first studio movie. So it was a big deal. And they handled themselves really professionally. You know, they always showed up on time. They did what was asked. They didn't whine and complain. And there was a lot of reason to be pissing and moaning through that shoot, man. It was grueling. And the way Walter ran those guys and had them do fight after fight, it was exhausting. Um, but they handled themselves really nicely. And it worked out well and it made the production a lot smoother because, you know, it was hard enough getting that thing done on time and on budget. 
And uh, if people had started turning into, you know, milk toasts about stuff, it never would have gotten finished. So how long did it actually wow. take to do the filming? Oh, God. Um, man, I don't know, 11 weeks, 10 weeks, something like that. It, it wasn't a super fast shoot. But so for two, two, two to three months. Done, it was two to three months then. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. It had to be. It had to be over three months because we, you know, we we're going through the summer into the fall. <clears throat> I remember towards the end there, people, people were cold. I mean, these guys running around in vests with no shirts underneath, and it'd be cold out at night. So yeah, we ran into the fall, and um, got it done. Finally, got it finished. Wow! Wow! I, I just real quick, I want to take us all the way back to the beginning of this, where you had mentioned that you played basketball. Yeah. You actually were a consultant for other movies because of that. Am I correct? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I got out to Hollywood and, you know, Walter, when he found out I was a writer, said, hey, if you're serious, you got to move to Hollywood. So mm -hmm. as soon as I, uh, as soon as I wrapped Warriors, I left my shitty Second Avenue apartment and moved to the land of milk and honey. Right. And, and um, was out there. Walter helped me find an agent and I ended up optioning a script, but I was still hard scrabble life. I didn't quite get rich, um, but I was playing a lot of basketball up at the Hollywood Y. And I met a guy named Ron Shelton who uh, was writing White Men Can't Jump at the mm -hmm. moment. And he had just directed Bull Durham, which is one of my favorite sports movies to this right. day. A brilliant, brilliant movie. So he showed me uh, an early draft of White Men, and I said, wow, man, this is fucking hot. And he goes, I want you to do be my basketball guy, because he knew I was a player, and he knew I had a bunch of production experience. I knew my way around the set, knew how to talk to a director, a camera. Um, so yeah, I ended up on White Men Can't Jump, and saw that movie all the way through, which is a blast. That was just one of those movies is exhilarating. You know, mm -hmm. we knew from day one with Woody and Wesley that they had some magic going there. It was just a vibration. And all the way through, man, that was just so much fun shooting that thing. And the basketball turned out and it turned into kind of a second career for me where I started getting invited onto other basketball movies to do it. Um, some better than others. I worked for Friedkin on Blue Chips. Yep. I worked on a dog named Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg. I don't know if anyone knows. Um, Whoopi Goldberg coaches the New York Knicks and we shot that thing down in North Carolina it's just a total fucking disaster um, <laughs> and so I you know I did that I did, I did a bunch of sports stuff um, for TV uh, episodic yep. and for commercials and to this day I'm doing a bunch of video game stuff now for EA Sports I just did Madden 25 that'll be out next year Wow. They hired me to do um, voiceover directing and sound directing. So this last one, I hired, what, maybe 10 real deal football players, put them in pads and helmets, put them out on a football field and had them beat the shit out of each other as the sound guys from Warner Sound record the whole thing. So then the sound engineers and editors will take those hits and grunts and screams and all layered into the video game. 
so yeah, I'm still doing that, and I'm still looking to get a couple of my screenplays made. I got a couple of cool ones, and it works. So if anyone out there with a couple nice. of inbox, you know where to find me. So that that's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. You you said you know you have a couple of screenplays and screen things. I was reading somewhere something about something called Zulu Wave. Yeah, yeah, that's a heartbreak, man. Um, this friend of mine is a travel writer, and he came back from South Africa saying that he's he heard about and saw these young black kids surfing, learning to surf in Durban, South Africa. Um, so we wrote a screenplay about these black kids from one of those really poor townships mm. who became hooked on surfing, but they weren't allowed onto the white beaches because everything was segregated back uh -huh. in the 70s. We set it back then in time of apartheid. And so we wrote this really cool screenplay. National Geographic Films wanted to shoot it. They were starting to cast it. Um, they were doing locations for the thing. And it's about this black kid who fights for the right to enter surfing competitions, mm -hmm. which are held on white-only beaches. And all the white surfers come together and the town people come together and say, hey, let this kid have a shot at surfing with us. And it's a real feel-good, politically cool movie. And um, it still has a shot of getting made, but the shot it had fell through. And it's one of those, it's sitting on a shelf right now. Right, so right. It's a but that's, you know, and I talk about this in my book. If you want to be a screenwriter in Hollywood, you better have tough skin because you can get so close so many times. And I made a good living at it. It wasn't like I was just striking out. I mean, I was selling shit to studios, to indies. I had directors like John Hughes. Even Walter Hill hired me to write a screenplay for him. Mm. Nothing got made after 30 years of doing this, 30 plus years. Wow. Nothing has gotten made that I've written, which drives me crazy. Because I, out of, out of a lot of screenplays, there are four or five that are really good, really deserve to get made. So... You know, game's not over yet. There's still yeah. some time on the clock. Game's Have you never over. just uh, doing that as an independent? Yeah, you know, you can do stuff pretty cheaply now, the way they yeah. shoot video instead of film. In fact, I just, right in the middle of writing this book, Purple Fury, I got the coolest idea for a little indie movie. What about at one of these fan cons, all these warriors are in a room signing autographs and this whole big thriller like convention or chiller convention where there are fans and cosplay and different costumes running around and there's money flying everywhere. What if some real life gangsters in costume try to rip off the convention and steal all the cash? So I wrote this screenplay where this actually happens. They, they have some weapons that they've hidden and I pull them out. They start robbing everyone, taking all the cash. So all these old warriors, guys like Michael Beck and, and <laughs> James Remar and all these guys are in there. It's like late 60s and 70s now. They spring into action to save the day and each other. And I got a part for, uh, for Deborah Van Valkenburg in there. Um, and I'm hoping to get it made. You know, it could, you could probably make wow. it for two, three million bucks. Try to get the old gang together again. It's sort of like 
I don't know, grumpy old men. <laughs> right, right. Cowboys. You know those movies where like all the old guys come together for one last fight? Yep. Like the Magnificent Seven. That's where I got the idea. It's oh. one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's a brilliant freaking movie. Yeah. That could actually be a comedy. It's like, yeah, but it's got to be, it's action comedy. And, and, you have to be action comedy because if you do it at the wrong con, you're going to have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out kicking your ass, too. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Now, I, I play up the laughs in it, and um, it's sort of like, you know how 48 Hours was one of those action comedies that kind of blew everyone's mind. Like, holy shit. You know, what a, what a cool idea. You know, have Eddie Murphy in this thing playing for laughs, but there's a lot of really good action in there. So yeah, I play it like that. And and the the action sequences are kind of like they were in the Warriors itself. You know, I get guys getting thrown into mirrors, getting beat up with light stands and all sorts of shit. Um, just a couple of gunshots, but not not too much gunplay. It's mm -hmm. more like the old fashioned brawling kind of action. Which is a lot of fun because you got these old guys who are like, oh, my back and, you know, talking about their hip replacements and all this shit. And yet, you know, they pull it together. And yeah. people don't know this unless you meet these guys. The warriors are taking good care of themselves physically, you know, as they age. They're really they're staying lean and mean, watching their diets. I mean, it's it's really good. It's, you know, it's one of the things I talk about because as you get older, man, it sucks. You can do uh -huh. it the easy way or the hard way. And the easy way is to say, fuck it. And you drink and smoke yourself to death and you eat shit you don't want to eat. But then you got to suffer with diabetes and blood pressure problems and all that shit. It's like, right. I got to go up the stairs. Shit, I got to lead with my left <laughs> leg, not my right. Lead with the left. Yeah, I, you know, every, everyone wants to go out like that, right? Right, you know? right. Fucking yeah. kill me with a heart attack or a stroke and I'm done. But usually it happens over weeks and months, if not years. Right. And you live you live a miserable existence. So I'm telling people to start taking care of yourself. It's not too late. And you'll ease into old age. Won't be a burden on your kids. And you won't wake up groaning every morning, you know. So anyway. The warriors themselves are living examples of that. The guys are doing right. a really nice job of, of staying healthy. Yeah, we ran into them what two years ago, Ben? Was it two years ago? Yeah, we've ran into them a few times. They do a lot of the New England. Times. Yeah, they do a yeah. lot of Upper New England shows. That's I right. actually, I actually ran into quite a few of them last summer um, when I went up to New Hampshire to have the novel signed by Steve Levine at uh, right. Dominic's show. That he right. had, I think he had three or four of the gentlemen there. So. But we have about four minutes left with this amazing guest tonight, folks. So, I mean, I see a lot of people watching. I see a lot of comments in the chat. Um, not too many questions, more so comments, which is great because we just let him roll, man. He just rolled right through tonight. Sure. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to I'm gonna say to, uh, to my uh, counterparts here, any last questions for our amazing guest? Yeah, I got one. Of course yeah. do you, you do. Do you, do you still like the color purple? I love the color purple, but I have I haven't seen the latest movie. I don't think it's going to be quite my cup of tea. <laughs> you know what I like about uh, what, what I like about the color purple is we're living in a really divided nation right now. 
And I stay out of politics. I stay out of it in my book. I stay out of it in shows like this. But yep. purple is a combination of red and blue, right? Mm -hmm. Left and right, Democrat, Republican, whatever. We are all in this together. And the color purple to me signifies that. It's like we're all one family here in the United States of America. And we've got to pull together and make sure we got to be kind to each other, treat each other with respect and get through this year. It's going to be a really hairy year. And everyone's got to be cool with each other to get through, get through the election and respect and honor the process and know that what we have going here in America is a near and dear thing. Keep it close to your heart. It's fragile. Democracy, as I tell my sons, democracy is not pretty, man. It's ugly. It's messy. But look at the alternatives. They really suck. So we got to all hang together, protect right. this beautiful country. Well, maybe what we need is we need a real-life purple people leader to take care of shit. Yeah, there you go. I love that. I, I, and I nominate, I, I nominate you, Jeff. How about it? Right? Oh, I, like, I like purple. I'm, I, yeah. you know. There you go. Pink. I'm not shy. Am I wearing? You're right. pink. Uh, <laughs> next time we see it, we want to see the purple hair. You got to do it. I can do it. <laughs> you know, especially uh, white white hair dyes purple really cool. And you know, I've noticed yeah. that. I noticed I've I've been tempted, but my girlfriend's like, no fucking way. So. <laughs> So, Jeff, you do the purple mohawk, and I'll dye the goatee purple. Well, I've got to test it out in other places to see if it works all right. All right, yeah, we, well, it's too, much, <laughs> too much information. All right. Leo, I know you have a question for our guest. Uh, yeah, so I was going to ask, uh, with the Warriors being so embedded in our uh, pop culture history, it, it's referenced – constantly even uh nowadays with uh like john wick four was like a, a tribute to the warriors and uh you know you have uh from simpsons to even ducktales have you ever been sitting down watching a tv show that strikes you like oh crap they're referencing the warriors or, or like had that like oh uh, like you know oh yeah yeah no it, it pops up and now i got people sending me stuff like someone just sent me uh a picture they went into a sushi restaurant down here in studio city and he takes a picture there's a warriors poster you know on the wall in some obscure sushi restaurant this thing won't die it just stays alive fathers pass it on to their sons sons pass it on to the guy's grandkids now so we're talking three four generations Women, yeah. aunts, and uncles. There are people coming to these conventions saying, "Yeah, this is my dad's favorite movie." So yeah, I want to buy him a, you know, buy him your picture. You would you sign it for me? Shit like that. It became incredibly meaningful to people. I'm not sure exactly why, but I think it's a whole simple concept of a group, a band of brothers trying to take each take care of each other and just trying to get home you know right and people logged on to that and they just grabbed it and they said yeah you know we're with the warriors and mm -hmm. and they people put their own meaning onto the movie and it's beautiful 
You know, I, when I talk to Walter, Walter's like, I can't believe it's as strong as it still is, but it's still going strong. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, my wife asked me every week who we have, you know, who we have on as a guest. And I, you know, I said, Rob Ryder from uh, the Warriors. And she's like, the Warriors, the Warriors. And she goes, oh, yeah, the bottles. Yeah. Warriors. That's yeah. all she remembers of the movie. Yeah. That, <laughs> you know, that's another moment that was ad-libbed by David Patrick Kelly. Walter was telling him, say, we want to do something special, some way to identify you. And, and so he, the actor went wandering around under the boardwalk and found those bottles. And there was a guy, this creepy guy in his real life, in his building in New York, who used to do that and taunt him with that. Yeah. So he picked up that thing and, and said, oh, this is perfect. And Walter loved it. Everyone remembers that. Everybody right. knows that. Yeah. Everybody. Yep. Yeah, it's really cool. Like really clicking cool. of the bottles. Yeah. Yep. Uh -huh. So, with that uh, being said, go ahead, Leo. Yeah, no, no, no. I I just thought of it. Um, since you do video game work, did they ask you to work on the Warriors video game? No, you know, I never got invited. Some of the guys did, um, and they got paid pretty handsomely. I guess. I guess some of them had to sue for their money, but um, to use their voices and images and like that, but. No, my kids used to play the video game and I'd walk by their room and I'd hear them yelling, let's kill dad next. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, geez. That's awesome. Sorry, royalty checks now go to the cat. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but we uh, we did tell you we'd only keep you about an hour, a little bit over that. So, Leo, yeah, we'll uh, wrap I it up. I do want to let this amazing gentleman uh, get back to his real life. Totally. We'll wrap things up. I want to thank everybody for watching this fine evening. You know how to find me. Just head on over to thedorkening.com. You can learn more. And uh, I do a bunch of other shows. Check out Splash Pages. You know, we've uh, been doing a lot of awesome stuff over on uh, the YouTubes. And also, more importantly, for our awesome guests here, go to purplefury.net if you want to buy his uh, book, get it autographed. And if you can't make it to Chiller Theater, you know, you can buy his autograph right on the website. So, Rob, where do you like people interacting with you on social media? Uh, I am mostly on Facebook. There are a bunch of uh, groups, warriors groups on Facebook. You can find me there. I'm on Twitter X a little bit, but that's just a nightmare these days. Um, yeah. And, I'm, you know, I toy around with Instagram a little bit, but mostly on Facebook. You can do, you can find me there or on my website, you know. I'll chat with you there as well. Very cool. You got to hop on over to uh, Blue Sky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's open to the public now. Yeah. There we go. We'll, we'll Jeffrey. Oh, sorry, what was that, Rob? I said, will do. Cool. Jeffrey. The fuck is Blue Sky? It's a new social network. It's uh, very similar to Twitter, but without all the negativity. For cool. now. Yeah, I've heard about it. And there's also threads, which I think might be a, I don't know, is that another Zuckerberg thing? So I'm not sure I want to be there again. Yeah, threads <laughs> is the Facebook uh, version of, of Twitter. Blue Sky, uh, there's a lot of uh, like comic book people on there. Uh, but I, well, there's everybody on there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good so far. Cool. I'll, have to, I'll, have to, I'll have to look into that one. Yeah, they just I mean, opened it up to the public. 
I mean, I don't even do Instagram. I think I started a page a long time ago, but I don't I don't do anything with it. I know talking with the dead is on Instagram, but Ben runs that shit. You know, but we're yeah. also on TikTok now. I kinda like TikTok. Even though yeah, I, I, get rid I of haven't it. been. I, I gotta check you know, that out. You know, I, well, you know, I'm one of those that I just watch the videos. I don't I don't put any of my own shit up really. I just look at all the cool videos. You know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of cool shit. Look up, you know, I, I'm making pork chops tonight. And there's a bunch of videos on different recipes. I just love it. You know what I mean? And I like cats. You know what I mean? I like dogs and I like fish and I like pussy. And oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, well, you, and, did. you know, cats. It, it's cats, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, as far as us, uh, still token.com or token with the dead on Facebook, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, still token, uh, go to the website. Everything is there. Uh, we have our four years archived. You can go watch every show we've ever done. I don't Five. recommend that. I, you know, I don't recommend that. Well, we're in our fifth year, so we just okay. started it. So it's only four full years. Do, do the math. And and, and uh, by math. the way, um, purple is spelled P-U-R, not P-R-U. That would be purple. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You're still number one in my book. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I want I want to thank. Well, actually, Rob was holding up his book. Yeah, just one last shot. Here, here there it is. You go. Purple Fury, rumbling with the warriors. Where you know, I here? actually put that on the image that I made for the show. I don't know if you yes. noticed that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which which you can find in the archives, and you can find all of that in the show notes depending on where you're watching or listening to us, because this is recorded. It will be archived. It will also be out on podcast platforms this Saturday. So I want to thank Rob for coming and hanging out with us tonight. We had a blast. I want to send a huge thank you to Amy Makepeace for uh, setting this up for us. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Amy's you know, great. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing. You know, check out seventies and 80s memory lane and Watch for Mr. Cat Promotions, which is her new promotions department that's coming out, or her company, I should say. Yeah, Amy, when am I going to get a chance to even speak with you? Right, right. I'll set up the conference call now that she's okay. now that now that she likes us. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you, well, you know, for people to like me, I got to work at it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So, um, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, check out Rob at Chilla Theater. Follow him on his pages. You'll know where he is get a copy of the book. I'm going to order a copy of the book because he already said he'd sign it and send it to us. So shit, I'm going to order that. It's going to go in my collection. Yeah. Um, to all our veterans and first responders, we want to thank you for doing what you do so people like us can do what we do. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. We're out of here. Peace.